0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Uh, thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. One of the things that people uh, comment on from time to time is the way in which professions work. And in the news recently, we've had uh, the, uh, one of the major mechanic firms globally, KPMG, um, cop a major fine from the U- US regulatory body the public accounts, um, public companies' accounts or oversight board, PCAOB, which regulates auditors in the US, because of cheating with uh, internal training uh, assessments that was going on at KPMG in Australia. Um, That caused the CEO of the international certified management accountants uh, Janet Ratna tunga uh, to sort of pop out a media release and look at some of the issues that relate to the regulation of the accounting profession, which can sometimes be extrapolated into the broader uh, professional world as well. And I'll, uh, I'll turn to Janek to explain what it is that um, has concerned him and what some of the remedies might be or how he might fix the problem. Janek, thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thanks Thanks for giving me your time and your podcast time. Uh, look, the KPMG issue is uh, the f- one of many that have come about around the world for various different reasons of et- uh, Big Four and other organizations being questioned about their ethics. Uh, so this is not the only one, it's just the latest in the round. But why it has become a big issue is that an external regulator has pulled them up. Now, how is it? An external regulators pull them up, is because up until uh, the um, early twentieth, twenty uh, first century, with Enron and WorldCom happening, there was uh, various um, uh, committees set up in the US, and one of them we all know called the Sarbanes Oxley Committee, which actually set up an independent, truly independent body to look at the accounting profession and their ethics and so on, and that is what the PCAOB came about with, right? Uh, until that time, even if you look at the Sabins Oxley um, uh, comments by the chairman Sabin, he said it had been "you scratch my back, I scratch your back." It was self-regulation, okay? If if one big folk goes into trouble, another one then takes over. So. This is the first time we've had, a, um, in a in the whole world, a truly independent organization. Now, Australia didn't go that way, Australia went into a still sort of self-regulation, a little bit of ASIC and the Financial Reporting Council got involved, but not in a big way. As we now know, they are virtually powerless. Um, in the case of the KPMG, they've admitted that they are powerless in this data scandal. Um, So that's the problem that we are still very much self-regulated and it is a you scratch my back, I scratch your mentality and uh, hence we really need more teeth being given to ASIC and more teeth being given to the Financial Reporting Council um, as a first step at least to get proper regulation here.
0: If we check, um, we'll check the PCAOB as an example. Yes. Right. Um, it does a whole range of things, from to the monitor of the profession and to the pull firms up as a result of firm inspections. It's not a wing of the actual regulator itself, the SEC, the Capital Markets Regulator. It sits separately. Um, here, the audit firm inspections are done by the corporate regulator. What reflections do you have on the corporate regulator in, the, in that respect? Because the PCAOB model is generally self contained, um, but our corporate regulator does that work. Is it the same kind of um, Remit, or is it something completely different, and we need to change? What well, what What's your view on the the, the way in which those tasks have been parceled out?
1: Well, for me, um the corporate regulator in the US is SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission. Uh, our regulator appears to be that having the similar role is ASIC, right, mm-hmm. uh, and um, Its track record compared to what SEC has done in the US, if I may may say so, is abysmal. They have hardly any uh, things that have come out that have taken to task some of these companies and so on. And in the case of the KPMG um, uh, scandal, they were asked by the journalists involved, what are you going to do about this? I mean, this is a big scandal. They said, we don't really have the authority to take it on, right? So this is the problem that there is, there is so much of, um... now in another case, which is sort of interestingly s- separate is that we have C, okay, that is going after all the big guys like Google and Facebook and huge amounts of companies and they're having excel- excellent successors, especially in false advertising, false advertising. And uh, ICMA wrote to C and said, hey, Look at this new buy now, pay later schemes. advertise advertising say no interest, but actually they are charging a worse rate. Isn't that f- for the advertising? You know what they said? A triple said, yes, it is, but financial products do not come under us. It goes to ASIC. And it, they sent it out to ASIC and the whole thing died. So ASIC seems to have no resources or teeth to take up the financial profession as they should be. Okay, so that's
0: that's essentially my my take on that. Mm-hmm. The the other element of this is that um, training is something that is looked at uh, by professional bodies and conduct, conduct that sort of thing. Um, what sort of role if we just take that example an example of you know, an asset can't deal with what sort of role do should professional bodies play in this particular kind of scenario?
1: I think the professional bodies should play no role at all, right It will be completely independent. Uh, they could take up task members who have done some fraud and these sole sort of minor things. But major, major items should go to an independent body to verify. Now, why KPMG in Australia was pulled up by a U.S. authority is simply because KPMG does U.S. company audits, right? So we have to have an independent body, I believe. And I don't think uh, for these big things, we can rely on the professional bodies taking up the problem. We've seen it happen, in fact, in the KPMG case as well. The charter accountants have done nothing, and they continue to stonewall when when the journalists ask them, what are you doing about it? Continue to stonewall, okay? And there are cases where actual issues were brought up, and all that happened was that the person who was involved in a big four company resigned from being an auditor, but they continued to be in the big six firm. I mean, I mentioned that in my article, a big four firm, I mean, okay, so um, uh, it's... I don't think they should play any role at all, it should be completely independent. They should have some people with audit knowledge, but they should be people who are totally independent and also independent of the financing by the big four.
0: Now, if, we, if we're we redesigning the regulatory landscape, yes. if we take, if we, if we accept the argument that there are various deficiencies in the Australian environment, How do you redesign the regulatory landscape in your view to get an outcome that that would suit what you you would like to see?
1: Okay, so um, this really goes back to the um, fundamental question uh, that should be asked. If you're having a blank white sheet of paper, uh, what is the value that audit brings? And then everything follows from that. And uh, we know that in Australia, certain size companies do not have to get an audit. And there was a study done some years ago as to what percentage of companies that do not have to do an audit, don't do an audit. And 95% said they don't do an audit. The 5% that did it was because the bank wanted to check their assets and so on. And they wanted to take a box. So if the audit has no value, then why do it? Why is there a statutory requirement to do an audit? Okay, so that's the first question we have to ask. What is the value an audit gives? Now, if you say it gives us a, uh, some understanding of the value of assets and the value of the company and so on, uh, you, you're, you're mistaken because that is not what an audit does. An audit, all the audit does, it says that the accounting statements are prepared in accordance with accounting standards accounting standards are written by themselves the audit profession okay so all they're saying is here is a piece of paper that you have to follow and have you followed it right that's all it is it does not have a value in fact an audited balance sheet of microsoft is 95% inaccurate because all the intangible assets of microsoft are not on the balance sheet uh, if none of the accounting standards can grapple with the new knowledge companies So we have a balance sheet that has some assets at cost, some assets at fair value one, which is quoted values, others at estimated values, all sorts of things. And we then mix it all together and call it book value. Okay. Uh, Obviously these accountants are not, know nothing about mathematics because you can't add apples, oranges and grapes and get one number. And that's my problem, the whole audit is not giving us any value. It's giving us a number that is meaningless.
0: We we both know that over the years have been attempts to get consistent measurement uh, models, whether it be the work done by Ray Chambers, whether it be uh, current cost accounting or whatever it happens to be. So people have tried to do that work. Yes. But it... it, um, Consistent measurement methodologies have been uh, sort of a, a bit like uh, you know, a, a getting to a consistent measurement methodology is a bit like a bunch of ants trying to you know climb Mount Everest. Um, it hasn't quite, uh, never get there.
1: Look, you mentioned Ray Chambers and so on. Okay, a lot of respect for them, but they lived in an era which had not known knowledge companies. Okay, I mean, if you look at just 10 years ago, you had three or four oil companies in the top uh, companies. Today, it's all all knowledge company. Microsoft, MS, uh, not MS, uh, Facebook. Okay, these are Google. These are all knowledge companies with huge intangible assets. The accounting standards are silent on them. They're completely silent.
0: Even the even Spark acknowledges that the accounting standards have not yet been caught up with certain aspects. And you chairman of the ISB. Yeah. And that's an area people want dealt with. So yeah, you're saying that you know, the thinking of chambers around um, you know contemporary continuous accounting was would no longer work in the 21st century.
1: Yeah, when chambers came up with his okay, inflation was a big thing, and inflation is no longer a big thing, and you will, see, in fact, it might become a big thing again, the way they're doing money printing at the moment, but he was really tackling huge hyperinflation issues. Okay. And the others have tried other things as well. Okay. But essentially, we can't have an accounting standard that auditors are certifying as true and correct when it is 95% wrong. The market is saying something else. Right? Now
0: simply uh, what is the, I mean, it, it, this is getting a bit. It, 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 a little bit deeper, some listeners might be um, aware. But where do you take it then, in terms of a, a holistic accounting approach?
1: Well, first of all, as I say, I'll, I'll ask the question: What is the value that the audit is giving? And if the value is to give us a value, rather than saying there's been no fraud, there's been um, accounting standards are being met, if there's a value in the number of the value of the company. Okay, if that is the main reason for accounting standards, then one simple fix. One simple fix is to look at on balance sheet date, the value of the company, and the value that the books are saying is the value, and bring in the difference. That's a simple fix. But really, the proper fix is to have different strands. I mean, these are very technical, but different strands, because they have four different ways of valuing assets. Why not have four different sets of uh, numbers rather than adding it all into one? So there are lots of suggestions out there, but the fundamental suggestion is that today we are getting an accounting number that is certified true and fair when it's not true and not fair. That is what my my whole co- uh, concern is.
0: Now, if we move from the reporting framework, which we discussed yeah. now, Can you go into the regulating framework for people who are professionals. Yes. Uh, Given some of the observations you've made about the PCAOB, would it be unfair of me to conclude that you would prefer a model like that in Australia?
1: Not unfair at all. Absolutely fair. Okay, But I think it should go alongside a real revisit of the accounting standards and the reason for an audit. Okay, but if you if that is too big a ask, at least the PCAOB is is a sort of thing that I would say certainly Australia needs, independent of the auditing firms.
0: Does that mean does that also mean you would want certain things to be taken away from the regulator, like audit firm inspections and you know, from the FRC, that whole thing about looking at audit quality, audit independence?
1: Look, uh, that's a difficult one. Uh, if they're given the resources to do it properly, it could remain there if they are truly independent and they have the resources. But I think the government, ha- I mean, it's a billion, billions of people are uh, putting their faith in these numbers that are being audited. Surely the government can come up with an independent body that is financed, okay? potentially—that's yes. that's, that's what I'm saying.
0: The once you once you've dealt with that, and then then you've got the an issue that I've reflected on recently, which is the extent to which professionals' associations in the accounting world, but more broadly, are, are brought before a parliamentary committee uh, and quizzed as to what they do in the in the public interest to monitor their members and discipline their members who do the wrong thing, particularly in areas where there's a legal mandate. Is that something you think would be beneficial and you'd like to see more of?
1: Well, I mean, the only legal mandate that I know of where accountants are concerned is the audit, right? And certainly I believe that that should be done uh, I don't know if uh, there's any legal mandate in any other areas except in the area of, uh, go- uh, you know, what is this uh, corporate social responsibility. Now, slowly there is a move towards being uh, getting that under some sort of government regulation. But um, we I mean, are you've, counter- got,
0: you, you've got insolvency practitioners that are, are regulated under law. You've got tax agents and mass agents. There's a whole raft of... And financial planners that are yep. all uh, that is a legal mandate for what they do there's law that covers what they do um,
1: yes so i mean if if that if it requires that sort of proper parliamentary uh oversight i think yes they should come in under that and of course that involves then uh wider professions i mean like the legal profession and the medical profession as well okay so really we have assume that self-regulation works in the professions, but I think it's coming to a situation where we probably need far more oversight of these professions.
0: How frequently should it take place? Oh, yeah, we saw the audit, the reason I asked the question is this, we saw an audit regulation inquiry that, but, you know, from time to time, people deep into it, but it's not a consistent monitoring. There's not a consistent examination of the area. It's done on an ad hoc basis. How frequently do you think, uh, uh, if we stick with the audit, audit factor, because we're both very familiar with that space? Yes. How frequently do you think that the, the parliamentary committee should, you know, revisit the? The, or for example, the professional accounting bodies and regulators that engage in order?
1: Well, we've already had one. Uh, I think two years ago, 2018, um, and they reported... That's, in... a
0: par- that's a parliamentary committee. Yes. I mean, it did not a... Uh, if we move to a, a more frequent interrogation of professional bodies and others, um, as a as a quality check, as a monitoring process, how frequently should it take place?
1: Look, I really, um, I don't know about the frequency. Uh, what I believe is that there should be, at like the Banking Royal Commission. I mean, we can't be expecting them to do a Banking Royal Commission just with the taxpayers' money, right? Uh, every so often, okay? Uh, Similarly, I think there should be a Royal Commission on the auditing and accounting profession where fundamental questions are asked. And then a sort of independent body ideally set up through that commission to look into these frequency issues and all of these things and how how to do that. But I think... But, but could, couldn't you set up an independent
0: body without going down the right of a Royal Commission? I mean, it, 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 a parliamentary committee can recommend the formation of a new body after taking evidence from people, surely.
1: Absolutely, they can, yes. The Royal Commission was because of the more fundamental question of the value of an audit. And and what really do should we have on the statutory book? Do we really need to have on our statutory books that an audit is required? I mean, maybe, but we need to have a proper... Because it's a, it's, a, it's a legal thing that all the accountants have got a huge marketing advantage, okay, uh, that they can do this audit. Um, why would the government give them this advantage? Is there any value in it? I think that is more of a Royal Commission than a Parliamentary Commission. Mm -hmm. Okay, so once that is answered, I mean, look, uh, it's a huge industry, billions of dollar industry, based on one small part of company law that audit must be conducted for this sort of company. Is that, should that be in the statutory books or not? I think that's a Royal Commission question.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I may differ with you on that element, but okay. but it, it, regardless, the, the, the process of interrogating profession, you know, groups of professionals in front of a parliamentary committee to see what they're doing in the name of the public interest, um, how they're disciplining members and all that kind of stuff there's a great deal of transparency of what they do seems that, to me at least to have great uh, to, to have some degree of merit
1: Certainly that is much better than not having it at all I agree with <laughs> <it. clears throat> definitely has merit in it okay uh, but somehow we have to get independence between the profession and the and the regulation now, I've mentioned this to you before, and I mentioned this in my article, but it's worth telling your listeners my analogy, and that is, at the moment, our accounting profession, our auditing profession, has created the syllabus of of a subject, to take a university analogy, then they are setting the exam paper, the same guys are then sitting the paper through the audit, by doing the audit. Okay. Then they are given the result, and if there's a complaint, the same guys are looking at the complaint. It's all one group, and and somehow it has there should be somewhere that we break it up, so that there's independence between those functions. Okay.
0: You're a, yeah. You've not only been in the profession, you have also worked in, in in the academic sector. Um. And it strikes me that the question that, that, that the university sector needs to reflect on when we deal with this. Yes. What role do what role do the do the educational institutions have when it comes to dealing with the, the way in which the accounting syllabus and the auditing syllabus and, and the, the, the corporate governance syllabuses are formed? Because a lot of the questions we talk about when it comes to the profession, we talk about instances where a culture a cultural issue may have fallen or something, something's gone wrong inside a particular part of a, a firm and then dealing with cultural problems and then dealing with technical stuff. There's a lot of people, a lot of things for, for people to think about in developing a curriculum. What are the, med, what role do the universities have in this space?
1: Look i that's a, that's a question that is a, requires another entire forum because currently the universities have gone down the track of writing refereed academic papers that have no professional value often so they've gone in a direction that is completely opposite to the requirements of the profession so i'm not too sure if if the academics uh, currently have the ability to, to guide accounting standards. Let me give you an example. I It's a research study that I did. I got someone to look at every single accounting standard and auditing standard and how they refer to academic papers. And you know, there was huge references to legal papers, but you know how many academic papers are referenced in the professional standards, auditing or accounting? Zero. Zero accounting papers are referenced in accounting and auditing standards. So I'm not too sure if our current lot of academics, which I was one of them, has the ability to address the professional requirements. They will have to really re, uh, relearn all this. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an it's an it's an interesting point for, for reflection because um, where do you where do you move? Well, where do you move with the younger generation of accountant? You know, where do you take them? Because today's generation of accountant might be is dealing with issues at the moment at this level, and then you've got people coming through, um, even to the point of in the auditing space, whether, whether you teach people a big book of auditing standards or whether you teach people... Something that deals with less complex entities that IFAC's Audit Board is currently thinking about, yes. and that's a yeah. that's a topic for another forum. But <laughs> it illustrates it illustrates the profound problem that you have in a in a climate where people in small to mid tier firms turn around and say, "Well, the auditing standards are too thick," and then. Standard setters contemplate issuing something for less complex entities. And there's a a question that drops out of that, which is, which do you teach first? Big book or little book? And then the next question is, what role do postgraduate courses have or the accounting bodies have or the accounting firms have to fill the gaps that the, that the universities had has left because yeah. of the decision that's had to be taken.
1: You're right. I mean, look, um, do we teach the big book or the sec- other books? Uh, the big question is who teaches them, right? And it's unfortunate that I'm not talking about all academics, but unfortunately in Australia, we have the mentality that <clears throat> to become an academic, you must have a PhD. Never mind if you have absolutely zero knowledge or professional uh, uh, you know expertise or anything you get undergraduate postgraduate phd and we don't appoint enough professors from the profession america is completely different you are in the profession you can come as a professor to the university and be you know treated properly equal but here no very few universities System. here have that sort of professional professor
0: right so what we've got is uh, what you've highlighted. This is an, uh, this is probably a, an issue for me to write about for someone. Yeah. Um, what you're saying is there is an insufficient weighting placed on professional experience on the ground.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Right
0: now, right yeah. now. In, in other words. if if the selection criteria for an academic is you must have a doctorate,
1: that's right, yeah.
0: Then it doesn't, it must, it it can be a doctorate in some obscure part of accounting. Correct.
1: But it's a doctorate. It meets the criteria. Absolutely. Spot on. And I know a lot of my colleagues will be upset with me for saying this, but if you look at down the ranks of people, even up to the professor level, very very little professional experience very little so how can they, they can't change anything they have no expertise in it you know so that's that's the problem okay we have to get universities out of this mode of only the phd and get people in industry in kpmgs or to come and become professors in the universities then there'll be a nice mix of the two that's what i believe
0: yeah that, that is one way in your view of Getting get, getting the necessary blend of academic thinking and the, sort of the, the practical experience—that's good—in um, order to in order to build a better professional out of the process. It's a bit of, a bit like an assembly line uh, for a motor car in the old days, yeah. um, where you—it's well, true. I mean, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it'd be like producing a motor car without uh, without the windshields. Yeah.
1: Correct, correct. Yes. <laughs> Look, there was there was one, uh, I don't know how much time we have, but there was one uh, professor who was working with me, name shall now be mentioned, but he was a supposed expert in uh, global warming and climate change. And then there was a job that came, which was involving global warming and climate change by the United Nations. And they asked me to do it. And I said, would you join me? He was scared. He he knew all the theory, but he could put it into practice, right? And this is the, the problem that we have. We have all the theoreticians scared of putting anything into practice. I'm not saying all. I'm not putting everyone in that basket, but a lot of them are like that.
0: Kenek, okay, that's a convenient place to end our discussion today. Now, if people want to know more about the organisation, you were Chief Executive Officer Where off with, they go,
1: Okay, so our website is um, cmaaustralia.edu.au, cmaaustralia.edu.au, okay, right? and um, and it's a management accounting body. So we are not involved in uh, statutory financial accounting work, but certainly we are trying to push the profession into doing more. What we call strategic audits and that is audit of the future of your in, in information security, of your leadership, and so on, mm-hmm. rather than auditing the past. So that's that's essentially what, what we are looking at.
0: Kenneth, okay, thank you so much for joining me, and we look forward to talking to you again in, in well, not the is the future.
1: Okay, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thank you.